Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to the book of Judges again this morning. As we continue our series from the book of Judges, we're going to be in Judges chapter 13. And, and I just want to uh, make you aware of what this coming week looks like and uh, next Sunday. Uh, I am pumped that uh, we have so many women in our church that signed up uh, to go to our district women's retreat up in Branson, Missouri next weekend. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I urge you to be praying for them as they go, uh, God's protection, but most of all, uh, that God would do a work in the women's lives that are gathered there next weekend, and we're excited that we have such a large group going. Uh, I know they're excited to be able to get away and to go do that and spend time with other ladies from the church. It puts us in kind of an awkward situation next week, though, to be honest with you, uh, our, all of our women being gone is greatly going to impact the amount of ministry that we can do in our children's department next week. That's a good thing. It's good. Uh, I remember a day when the church didn't have children's church. The kids just sat in normal church uh, with us. And so that, we're, we're, going, we're going throwback next Sunday. Kids are going to be in here with us next Sunday. Uh, dads, I know it's going to be a challenge for you to get here with your kids uh, without your wife being there to help. But I encourage you to try to do that and get them here. We will have nursery and toddler nursery next week. We just won't be having mini church or children's church next week. The kids will be in here with us. It'll be an awesome time of, uh, of worship together, and, and we're looking forward to that. Well, this morning we're continuing this series we've been in out of the book of Judges. We're in week number seven. Can you believe it's been seven weeks? Uh, someone said you, you should never do a series that's longer than six weeks, but we're going to test the theory on that. Uh, we're in week seven today. Today we're going to begin to look at the last judge or the last leader that we see recorded uh, and written about here in the book of Judges, and his name is Samson, who probably doesn't need much of an introduction at all to those of you that are here. I'm going to say that most of you know who Samson is. You know a little bit about his story. Uh, some of you may have even seen the show at Branson. Are you calling me? Sound boost calling me on my phone. I'm thinking there must be an emergency. It's not an emergency. It was an accidental call. All right. How many of you have seen the show at Branson about Samson? Had an opportunity to go see that. It's awesome depiction of this story. Uh, I would encourage you to get the opportunity to go if you haven't. Uh, but by this point, after six weeks of being here in the book of Judges, for those of you that have been here uh, each week and, or have been keeping up on our podcast, uh, it's pretty easy for us now at this point to recognize this cycle of disobedience that Israel finds themselves in. I mean, you know, they start out, we see it time and time again, here's the way, here's the way it goes. They start out being faithful to God. Right? They, they, they start out being exactly where they need to be in right relationship with God. All right? and, we, and we talked about when we began this series, the reason we're doing this is because there's a lot of correlation between the nation of Israel and so many people today. And some of you probably can relate to this, but here's the cycle that we would see them in. They start out following God, being faithful. Right? They begin to get comfortable in that. They begin to get complacent in that. They begin to feel good about themselves because God's blessing, things are going good. And they begin to get off track. They begin to focus on the wrong things. They begin to focus on uh, making the wrong things the priority in their lives. And 
uh, they would turn to idolatry. And we talked about that's not just the worship of a graven image or an idol in your home. Idolatry is anything that you look to for happiness, peace, and power in your life other than the things of God. And so this is what would happen with the nation of Israel. Right? They would turn to idolatry, looking to other things for happiness, looking to other things for power, which then would lead them into a period of enslavement, often captivity, which was basically a, a direct result of their unfaithfulness to God. I mean, unfaithfulness to God will lead you into captivity and enslavement of whatever it is that you turn to other than Him. It just will. And so we've seen this continuing cycle in and out, in and out, hot and cold, high and low, and all these things in, in the nation of Israel. But then, you know, they would get to this point and they would always cry out to God in their misery. You know, they would turn to God in their time of despair and they would repent. And, you know, they, they would suffer and then they would repent, cry out to God, which would lead to their deliverance once again. And God would raise up someone in the nation to be their leader, their godly leader, and to deliver them out of whatever it was they were in, to save them. And so they go along for a while. Things are going good. Things are rocking along just right because they're walking in the will of God. And then they forget what they've learned, and the cycle starts all over again. And you'd think at some point that they would snap out of this cycle. You would think, you know, eventually you would learn, you know, but we see people today, and maybe you find yourself here today, and you, you, you recognize that same cycle in your own life. You know, and, and, and you're wondering, why can't I just snap out of it, you know? And because, you know, in Israel, we've seen this over and over and over again, and it's just like somebody's hitting the rewind and replay button, you know, uh, in, in the nation of Israel. And then we get to where we are today in this story. And the narrative that we have seen every week leading up till now changes. All right? And, and what we now see is this in-depth story of this final judge. It actually takes three chapters to tell the story of Samson, this final judge that we see in the book of Judges. But what we see, and scholars point this out for us, is that the life of Samson and the story of Samson and the in-depth detail that we're given to the story of, Sam of Samson has so much symbolism in it. Not only uh, for us, but for, for the world and all of humanity. So I want to pick it up this morning, starting at chapter 3, I mean chapter 13. And we're going to start at verse 1. It's almost like we read the same verse, the beginning of every single sermon in this series. And again... The, Israels, the, uh, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. And, and to give you a little background here, these Philistines were some of uh, the most advanced, but the most cruel and nasty people that, there were back in that time. Scholars tell us that they were far more advanced 
uh, than any other civilizations at this time. They were the first ones to be able to work with iron and actually make iron weapons that would be used in battle uh, and at war. They were the first ones who used battle formations uh, when they would go to war. Their architecture was so much more advanced than any other culture uh, in the world at that time. They were building multi-story buildings. They were building bridges. And not only were they more advanced than all the other cultures in the world at that time, but uh, again, they were extremely cruel. And they took great pride in the fact of, uh, of how barbaric they could be in ways of torture to their captors and, and those that you know they, they would punish. And so at this time, the Philistines would be the greatest enemy for God's people. The greatest enemy that they could possibly face and come up against would be the Philistines because you know, they were numerically, culturally, economically, militarily far, so, far more superior than Israel in so many ways. All right, so let's continue now in, in verse 2 and verse 3. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now, I just want to stop here for a minute and point out what is missing here from this story today compared to all the other stories that we've looked at uh, in, the past few, in the past six weeks. Uh, in the past, we've seen Israel do evil in the eyes of the Lord, which would then lead them to repentance. There is absolutely no sign whatsoever of that taking place here today in the story of Samson. There's no repentance. It's not because, right, if these people are going to be saved this time, it's not because of them seeking God. But don't miss this. It's because God is seeking them. He, he's seeking them for their salvation when they're not even looking for Him to save them uh, at this time and at this point. Another thing different about this story is that this is the first time that a judge or a leader is promised before they were even born. All right? With all the others, think about it, God raised up someone who was already alive, right? He, he raised up these people that no one would ever consider to be a leader. Uh, it was often people that were rejected and uh, people that were outcast, people who were uh, maybe weaker. Uh, heaven forbid even used a woman one week, right? I mean, we saw that in two different women that, that week in that story. And so, but this is the, and I'm just, hey, I'm not against women. I'm for them. I live with one. She's awesome. But this is the first time that we've seen God go about this in a different way. Another interesting thing here is that this promise of a child is made to a barren woman who wasn't able to have any kids. And so we need to understand that a barren woman, a woman that couldn't have any kids back in this day, would have been viewed like there was a curse upon her and her family, if that were the case. If they could not have children, then that would be a curse uh, uh, upon her life. A family with no kids, think about it, meant back in a, a day and time where it was important that you had, you know, workers on the farm and you had... You know, people would come along beside you and help you make an income. A family with no kids, 
meant that they wouldn't have anybody to help with the family business. They wouldn't have anybody to help with the crops. They wouldn't have anybody to help with the cattle. Right? They, they, they wouldn't have any assistance. And so it greatly would affect the family's income and, and their situation. You know, they, they, they wouldn't have uh, any... When they got older, they wouldn't have any nursing homes. They wouldn't have any Social Security. So people would have a lot of kids, number one, so that, you know... They would have more income in their family and their, their family business would do better or their farm would do better. But when they got older, if they had no kids, they had no one to take care of them. They had no one to see after them if they had no kids. And so literally, people with no kids had no hope for their future. Don't miss this. God picked a woman that culture looked at and said, there is no hope to give the nation of Israel hope. Right? He could have picked any woman from any tribe, from, from any area there in the nation of Israel. But yet he chose this woman who was barren and could not have children. This woman who there was no hope for her future. There was no hope for the future of her family. And so God picks a woman with no hope and no security for the days ahead. And it's also interesting to me here that we're never told her name. <laughs> right? We're told the father's name. We see it mentioned here, but we're never told her name, which is strange because there's so many other, you know, details here in this story. Samson's mother's only referred to as the woman, right? There, there's a show that Lynette watches all the time about pools, bizarre pools or something, and there's a lady on there that helps them work on these pools, and that's what they call her, woman. That's, I mean, that's just her name. Uh, and, and so that's how this lady is referred to here as the woman. Uh, so here's, I, I think, an important lesson we need to take from this before we ever really dig into the meat of the story this morning. And it's this. It's a, it's a lesson to us today about salvation. And it's so important for us to understand. God wants to bring salvation to people who are not even seeking Him. Huh? He, he's wanting... He, he came to seek and save those who are lost. He wants to bring salvation to people who aren't even looking for Him yet, who haven't even turned to Him yet. And He wants to bring salvation to people, don't miss this, with no hope for a future. Huh? huh? And, and so, you know, don't miss this. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what circumstance you may have found yourself in today. And it all may have been all because of your, you know, willful disobedience. It may be, you may be in the circumstance you're in today because of bad decisions you've made in the past. But I'm here to tell you today, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what circumstance that you find yourself in today or what mistakes that you have made or what weakness that you feel that you may have. God wants you to know that there is hope in Him. There is hope for your future in a relationship with Him. There's hope for you today. Regardless of where you are, what your circumstance is, what your situation is, what your weakness is, what your past has been like, we got to take away from this today that God wants you to know that there is hope in Him and through a relationship with Him. And that hope will not be found in you trying to turn over a new leaf. We often think we can do this. We often think I can, I can discipline myself to get to a point to where I can do this on my own. It's not about you turning on, over a new leaf. It's about you receiving this gift of grace that comes only from God. 
that we talked about last week. It's a gift of grace, and all we have to do is receive it and open it. It's one of the most humbling things about God's love. Do you know why God loves you? Just because. (laughs) Is that not the greatest news in the world? It's not because of anything that we've done or that we've earned His love or we've achieved His love or we've checked enough boxes or we got the star on the Sunday school board. God loves you just because He created you. He loved you enough to create you. That's awesome about His love. As a matter of fact, I want to look at how God described this to Israel early, earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, verses 7 and 8. It says, The Lord did not set His affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people. For you were the fewest of all peoples. You weren't the strongest. You weren't the most sophisticated. You, you're not even the most moral. Matter of fact, you're probably about the worst bunch that he could have picked. But it was because the Lord loved you. That's why he picked you. That's why he's pursuing you. That's why he's seeking you. That's why he's drawing you. It's because he loves you. And so understanding this kind of love that God has for you, do you really believe that he's just going to throw you aside and discard you because you stumbled? Do you think he's going to kick you to the curb just because you made a mistake? You know, here's what I've learned over the many years that I've tried to follow Jesus faithfully. I'm not holding on to him near as tightly as he's holding on to me. Someone needed to hear that today. But let's move on. Verse 5. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. This is ironic, and it just proves to you that God has a sense of humor. Well, number one, that I'm up here preaching this message. Number two, (laughs) this week I had a lady stop by the church and wanted to debate me theologically which is also a joke, uh, wanted to debate me about why we were Nazarenes, but yet we didn't follow the vow of the Nazarites. Folks, I can't make this stuff up, okay? And she wanted to argue, and she wanted to debate, and if you know me, I'm not going to argue, and I'm not going to debate. I will listen to you. I will answer any question that you have me, ask me, but you're going to get a very limited amount of time and then we're going to agree to disagree, and I'm going to ask you to leave. All right? So this, this was the conversation that I had with this woman. But let's look at what it means to be a Nazarite, to take a Nazarite vow, because I don't want you to confuse us being Nazarenes with being a Nazarite. All right? First, in this Nazar- Nazarite vow, it would be pretty intense. You would make a vow that you wouldn't cut your hair at any time while you had taken this vow. You couldn't drink anything from the vine, whether it was fermented or unfermented. You couldn't drink anything that was raised from a vine, which pretty much would have been all they had to drink besides when they had access to water or milk. All right? And you couldn't touch any dead bodies, not just a human body, but anything that was dead, any kind of dead carcass whatsoever. You couldn't touch it. 
you were living under this Nazarite vow. And typically, people would only commit to this vow for a short period of time when they were really seeking God in a situation in their life or they were wanting God to to do something, a powerful work in their life. It would be very similar today to a lot of people who will fast about something when they fast and pray that God would, you know, do something special. And, And so this would be a situation where someone would make this vow. But God says that Samson must start this from birth. From the time that he's born. And Old Testament scholars tell us how symbolic that this would be, right? Of how the real Savior to come would be set apart as holy and blameless. Alright? And now the NIV here points out that he will take the lead in delivering Israel. But it's interesting here how it's translated in all the other major and trusted translations of the Bible. Right? They say... And he shall begin to deliver Israel. Alright? So if Samson is going to begin it, who's going to finish it? Huh? (laughs) You know, and by the way, you know, this is the last story again in the book of Judges. The book of Judges ends with Samson beginning something. So where's the conclusion? Well, it won't actually happen until you get on over into the New Testament. But to summarize uh, briefly what happens next, the woman tells her, her husband about what's happened to her. You know, this angel of the Lord came and said, I'm going to be pregnant, I'm going to have a baby. And, you know, her husband is like, I need to see this guy. <laughs> you know, and so he asked God, you know, if this is an angel, send the angel back because, you know, I, I want to talk to him. And so God hears his prayer. And uh, God sends the angel back, and we see Maniah uh, uh, begin to uh, pepper him with questions. You know, you look at kind of what he's doing there, and, and, and what he's doing in asking him all these questions is this. He, he's wanting details. He's wanting to know more about what this is all about. He's, he's wanting his questions answered. Uh, he's asking questions to try to get the details of how this is all going to happen, what it's going to look like. But I want you to look at verse 18, how the angel of the Lord in this conversation replies to him. He replies, he says, why do you ask my name? Because it is beyond understanding. Other translations say that it is wonderful or it is divine. Scholars say that the the words used here literally mean divine, which is used almost exclusively in describing God throughout the Old Testament. All right, so don't miss this. Manah wants what? Details. He wants answers to his questions. He wants to know the plan. He wants to know what's coming, you know, what, what's in advance of all this. But God says what? This is who I am. That's a strange answer to a question, <laughs> right? This is who I am. Folks, don't miss this. We want details. We want to know what the future looks like. We want a crystal ball, right? Why is this happening? Or, or, or what's going to happen? Instead, here's what God wants you to know. He wants you to know who He is. Who He is. Because there's really no peace, folks, in knowing the details. 
There's really no peace in having all the answers. There's no peace in being able to look in a crystal ball and see what the future holds. There's really no peace in all that. There is only peace in who God is. And oh, by the way, He is wonderful and He is divine. And there is power in who He is. There is power in His name. And so because of that... I know we want details. I know we want to know what's going to happen tomorrow. But we're not going to get that, right? And so we can trust Him, you know, with the questions that we don't have the answers to. And we can trust Him with our future when we don't understand. Because, folks, He is wonderful. And He's your daddy. And He's a good, good father. Verse 24 goes on to say this. The woman gave birth to this son, and they named him Samson. And he grew, and the Lord blessed him. And so Samson is born. Scholars say that we see an indication here right from the very beginning at his birth that there was going to be a problem. Uh, They named him Samson which was a nod to and a tribute to a son God. And we're going to see that Samson's life all throughout is continues to be filled with compromise. Uh, And I just want to look at some of the problems that are going to plague Samson's life that we'll start to unpack next week. But just to give you a glimpse of uh, of, of what it's going to be about. And I want us to pay close attention. As we look at these three things that, that plagued Samson's life, here's what I want us to do as we look at these things. I want us to pay close attention to our own lives this morning. Yes, we're looking at Samson's life, but I want you to compare your life up against his and see if any of these things ring a bell or if any of these things look similar to something that's going on in your own life this morning. As we look at the dangers of living our lives the way that Samson lived his life. One of the first things that we see about Samson is this. And I mentioned it. Samson lives a life of compromise. He just does. We're going to see him break all three provisions of the Nazarite vow that he's supposed to be living his life by that we saw earlier. Remember, no wine, no dead bodies, uh, and don't cut your hair. Right? Over in chapter 14, the next chapter, we're going to see that Samson falls in love with this girl. He falls in love with a Philistine girl, all right, which is obviously a problem in itself because she doesn't even have the same faith that he has, right? She doesn't even share his faith whatsoever. And so, you know, then we throw himself a, a week-long drinking party, you know, which again violates the vow. And then later we see him kill a lion, uh, with his bare hands, and I'm sorry, my mind is going toward that story, and I don't need to tell it right now. But anyway, we see him killing this lion, and days later, he comes across the carcass of this lion that he kills, and some bees have set up a hive in there. And so basically, he reaches down in there with his hand, and he gets the honey out, and he eats it, violating again the vow not to touch a dead carcass, right? And then, as most of you know, he ends up cutting his hair, which leads to his downfall. Don't, don't miss this. He lives a life continually compromising the things of God. 
right? And one of the reasons that he does this, and we see the second thing about Samson is this. Samson lives a life of being impulsive, all right? Throughout his life, he's controlled by his passions, right? He gets hungry for honey. He just reaches in the bee's nest and gets it, right? He's impulsive. He wants a woman. He takes her. Doesn't matter if she's a Philistine, a prostitute, or whatever. You know, we see that when Samson tells his parents that he wants to marry this Philistine woman over in chapter 14, they object. And his response, get her for me because she pleases me. Right? Impulsive. It's all about him. He gets mad. He kills people out of impulse. People insult him. He kills them out of impulse. And we'll be looking at, at some of the things that he did out of this impulsive nature and go, why would he do that? You know, why would he risk God's blessing upon his life doing the things that he does? Why would he risk being the strongest man alive for just a little taste of honey? Well, why would he jeopardize his life in such a way? But friends, here's the deal. We could sit here and judge Samson all we want and think he's dumb and, and you know, why would he do that and ask these questions and, and all that. But people are doing it every single day. People are trading the promises of God for a little bit of sweetness and pleasure in their life. And, and before we start judging Samson, we need to ask ourselves, are we willing to trade God for just a taste of the honey of the world? Are we willing to compromise Right? Are, are, are we so impulsive that we, we can't control that we must have so we get and we take? And, and we also see that, you know, a lot of this is a direct result of Samson's pride. He's a very prideful guy, right? Everything in his life is about him. Go home and read these next few chapters about the story and pay attention to how much Samson uses the word I because it's all about him. Right? He is leveraging the blessing of God upon his life. Don't miss this. He is leveraging this gift of God that he has been given. His God-given strength. For who? Himself. Instead of God who had given it to him to be used for God's glory. Samson was taking it and using it for his own glory. And eventually, he allows his hair to be cut because he's convinced himself that his strength comes from within and it doesn't really come from God, and so it's not that big a deal. And so don't miss this. These things, compromise, being impulsive, being prideful, are the greatest threats in your life to what God wants to do through your life. Don't miss that. Compromise, being impulsive. And being prideful are the greatest threats to God using you for His glory. And we're going to look at this more next week, but I want to bring us back to the, the, the story today, the end of chapter 13. And, and I want you to see it again today. I've been, I've been saying this ever since week one. The book of Judges points us forward. The book of Judges points us uh, ahead. And the end of chapter 13, I, uh, you know, uh, he, he's pointing us forward. Samson is the last judge in this book. The last, think about it, the last great hope for Israel. But he continually lets them down. He continually lets us down. Can I just tell you folks today, people will let you down. 
people will continually let you down. But let me tell you something. Samson points us to the one who will never let you down. Jesus will complete what Samson begins there in verse 5. But let me tell you something this morning. Jesus is not a broken Savior like Samson was. Jesus is the real Savior. He's the real Savior. Think about it. Think about the similarities between Jesus and and when I was sharing it. I don't know if it kind of, you went, oh. But the similarities between Jesus and Samson's birth, they're both promised before birth, right? And Samson is, is giving us a picture of how the real Savior would come into the world one day. The births of Samson and Jesus, both miraculous births, right? I mean, Samson's mom was barren, had never been able to have children, you know. Mary was a virgin, you know, pretty miraculous, both of those on both accounts. But the difference was, think about this, while Samson's birth gave his family joy, brought them joy and brought honor to his family because they finally had this child, The birth of Jesus brought disgrace. Think about it. Mary and Joseph became embarrassed outcasts because Jesus' birth looked like it took place before they were married. And so it was an embarrassment and a disgrace to their family. Samson's birth brought celebration and honor to his family. Jesus was born into poverty and shame. Why? Because the real Savior would not save us simply through power and might and great strength, right? The real Savior would have to do what? He would have to enter into our shame. He would have to enter into our embarrassment. He he would have to enter into our weakness and take it upon himself and die for it. Samson was a Nazarite. A respected religious guy. Jesus was a Nazarene. A despised cultural outcast. One more thing we're given uh, about the the story of their miraculous births. We're, We're not really given very much at all about their childhoods. Either one of them. But Samson's story, don't miss this, is being told in a way that it points us to a Savior to come. It it points us to Jesus, because here's the deal. Jesus is the real Savior. Jesus is a, a better Savior. Think about it. Samson lived a life of compromise. Jesus never compromised. He never compromised. He would keep every facet of God's law and never sin. Right? Instead of being controlled by his impulses the way that Samson was, Jesus would be controlled by what? The Spirit of God. He would be controlled by the will of God on his life. Jesus didn't do things because it brought him pleasure, right? He lived his life in order to do what? To please God. We see it in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see the anguish that he went through. He said, I don't want this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to go through this. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Jesus would take the role of servant and he would submit in humiliation 
to the cross of Calvary. Let me tell you something. The world today stands and applauds the strength of the Samsons in our world. The world takes note today of those who are strong and powerful and and mighty today. But folks, I'm here to tell you today that we must stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned and unclean. Here's the deal, folks. God wants to use you. We talk about it all the time around here. You were created on purpose, with a purpose. He created you because He loved you. He continues to seek you and to draw you and forgive you because He loves you. He wants to use you in the lives of other people. Instead of being like Samson and saying, I want it. I want it my way. I I want it the way I want it. God wants to give you the strength to say, you know what? I want God. I want God more than I want anything else. And I want Him to use me and work through me. Instead of saying, I deserve it, we'll confess and realize we don't deserve anything, folks. What we deserve is death. That's what we deserve. And instead of saying my strengths and my talents and my abilities and how awesome I am makes it all about me, we'll say, no, it's not about us, but it's all about Jesus. And instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to turn over a new leaf or I'll work it out or I'll figure out a way and I can handle it, you come to a realization to say, I can't handle anything without God. But in Him and through Him, He made you a promise that you can do anything. All things through Him who gives you this strength. Folks, this message today is really not about Samson at all. It's not about you learning something new about the story of Samson. The point of this message today is that we learn something about ourselves. Will we fall into the same cycle? Will we continue up and down and hot and cold and high and low? Will we fall into these same traps that Samson fell into compromise and being impulsive and making it all about us? Or will we turn our eyes to the one who will help us avoid those traps? Right? We can focus on the things that the world tells us we ought to focus on. And can I just tell you from past history, all the way back to the Bible, if you focus on the things that the world says focus on, you lose. You fail. You will be destroyed by the things of the world. Or we can focus on the real Savior, 
you know, the world's going to offer us all these other saviors that look right and look good. Or we can focus on the real Savior. We can focus on Jesus who, oh, by the way, and we sang about it earlier, will bring us victory. There is victory in Jesus. And that is the only place that you will ever find it in your life. And so as we close in prayer this morning, I want to open these altars to you. Again, I'm not, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm not predicting here what the Holy Spirit is doing. But I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to some people. And this morning, we're going to close in prayer. And so I want to give you an opportunity to come. If you feel like God's speaking to you and you know you need to come and pray about something, you come right now. We're not going to wait all day. And so you come and pray. Maybe there's somebody that's going through a situation. Maybe you're going through something and you just need to come give that to God today. There's no better place than to lay it at the altar this morning. So I invite you to come. Maybe someone you know is going through a very difficult situation. Folks, there are people in our very church today that are hurting. And asking a lot of questions and not understanding why what's going on in their life is going on. And it's not near as important that we know the answers to the questions as it is that we know Him. This morning, be praying for uh, the Bennett family. I got a call early this morning and Micah Bennett's dad had a very unexpected heart attack this morning and didn't live. And, and uh, so in the days ahead, Micah and, and Robert will be planning a, a funeral. And uh, as their church family, we want to come alongside them and help them through this difficult time. But remember that family in your prayers. Continue to remember the, the Glover family had a great celebration of Willard Glover's life here at the church yesterday. and We want to uh, remember them in our prayers as well. This morning, if you'd like to come, I invite you to come. There's something you want to pray about and bring to God today. This altar is open for you. Let's join together this morning. God, today we are just reminded of how much you love us. We're reminded of just how much like Israel we truly are. Some here today see themselves in this exact same cycle that we've seen week after week after week in the story of Israel's spiritual journey with you. It's not uncommon. But God, thank you for this reminder today that even when we get to the point that we stop seeking you, that you never give up on us. You don't stop seeking us. You continue to pursue us. You continue to get us, uh, try to get us to focus our eyes on the real Savior in our lives. And, and, and God, help us today. There are some people in here today that truly need you to help them get their eyes off the wrong saviors in this world today and to get their eyes on the right savior and so God today I pray that you give them that help and give them that strength and God we're only stronger together than we are apart and you promised to walk with us and you promised to be beside us and you promised to journey with us in this life but God you, almost, you also created something that you knew we need called the body of Christ. You called us your beautiful bride. And God, we need one another. We desperately need 
one another in the body of Christ. And so I pray that we would be a little more uh, attentive this week to those that you put in front of us, for those that you put in our path. For those who are really crying out just to see the love of Jesus in their life. And God, we'd be a little less judgmental. And we'd be a little more like you. Being willing to extend forgiveness. And to extend grace. To extend mercy. Because you are the only one that knows how much you have extended that to us. God, this morning... uh, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for the work that your Holy Spirit is doing uh, in this place. And so I I pray for those that I I have no idea how you spoke to every personally, individually, but I know you did. And so I pray that you'll just help those. That you've stirred their hearts this morning, that you will help them to stay focused on you and find victory in you. God, we pray for these in our church today that are hurting and suffering and going through great illness, going through loss, continue to be with the Glover family. Comfort them. I pray that you'll be with Micah today, her brother as he travels here from out of state. Be with that family, and I know they're devastated. An unexpected storm is what they woke up to today. But God, I pray today that you would bring peace to that storm. You would bring calm. You will help them. And as they try to navigate this week of mourning and planning a burial and all those things that go along with that, God, just give them exactly what they need in every moment of this. God, we love you so much. Thank you for this incredible reminder today of just how much you love us and how tightly you are holding on to us. What a blessing to be called the children of God. So now as we go from this place, I pray that you'd help us. Help us to be a great example of our Father, our good, good Father. I pray that you continue to show, shape us and mold us and make us into your image of who you want us to be so that we will be able to represent you in, a, in this world that needs to see the real Savior in their lives. God, I pray that you would receive all the glory and all the praise. And it's in your powerful and wonderful name that we ask these things. Amen. God bless you all.